This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right, everybody. Hello, uh, Jared here, uh, the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. This podcast um, is sort of an extension of what I started at Historicon 2023 um, in terms of almost like recapping the event, especially for people that have never been to a convention like that before. So you may have listened to the Little Wars TV episode that um, was recently posted. Um, so I'm going to continue that series. So um, we're going to see how this goes today. I've got a, a, a very exciting uh, guest. You can probably hear him giggling slightly in the background as I am going to wax philosophical about him. So here's what I'm going to say to you guys. So what I tell students all the time, especially kids that are interested in running games, or really anybody who's interested in running a game, what I always say is you never know who's going to show up at your table ever, right? So um, I ran a game. And by the way, this is the least important part of the podcast. Like the game I ran is not important, but I did run a game at, um, at Historicon 2023, my Bella Woods scenario. And if you follow the Instagram page, you probably, for next gen, I should say, you've probably seen you know pics of that board. I had probably, and I'm not exaggerating, and anybody who knows me knows I don't blow smoke, probably the best group I've ever had in a game. Um, just an unbelievable group of players, ranging in ages, ranging in different experiences. And it really... Uh, the reason I'm pausing is because it, it meant a lot to me because, you just, like I said, you, you never know who's going to show up. And it just really gave me a nice impetus, a little bit of inspiration to keep running games at Historicon, and I already have been thinking about next year. Now, it went well um, because of all my players, but in particular, I have one of those players here, and it just so happens that he's literally the perfect guest for this podcast. Now, why is that, right? Why is that? Um, well, first off, um, Dr. Gavin Lawson, um, he studied biology uh, at the University of Illinois. He is a biology teacher. So there's a huge check mark there. He works at Bridgewater College in Virginia. But as I got to know him, he has gamified lessons. He has done a lot of the kind of work that we've been doing with NextGen. So not only are we going to get a nice recap of the, we can also talk about some of those touchstones that we talk about in this podcast all the time. So there's my really long-winded introduction. <laughs> Hello, Gavin. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, look, here's the thing. Um, we had uh, been chatting before we started recording, um, and I feel like we have to leave Historicon and games aside for one second. Mm -hmm. Can you please tell people what your doctorate is in? Because, I don't know, I, I'm just fascinated. <laughs> but you got to tell people. So All go right. for it. Sounds good. All right. So um, my interest in biology has been uh, anatomy, evolutionary biology, and for some reason, I've always been attracted to things that are potentially dangerous. And for my PhD dissertation, I selected um, studying the evolution of the jaw apparatus and feeding mechanism in pythons. And let me tell you, handling 11-foot Burmese pythons and giving them the tank for filming and all that stuff, 
It's an experience. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. I'm terrified <laughs> as you're explaining it. But it will, so again, like I really aiming aside, give excellent hugs. I don't want. <laughs> so what is it? What is it like having like just being around like eleven and twelve foot pythons all the time? What is that like? It's. I don't have a lot of students because I was a teaching assistant. Um, you don't have a lot of students coming into your office to complain about things. That's that's <laughs> one. Um, and uh, I think the biggest thing that I, I really remember from working with this, them is when we were switching cages, you know, to get them ready for filming experiments or whatever. Uh, and you're picking up this giant tube of muscle. It it's becomes really obvious really quickly that if that animal did not want to do what you were trying to accomplish, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It was just not going to happen. It's I can imagine. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. It's like, uh, I always would joke with students like all the time about how, and this is mostly true, how mm. much I wish to have like a Komodo dragon live in my classroom. And like when mm -hmm. people forgot to bring their homework in, I would oh, just yeah. literally like point to like Alcibiades, the Komodo dragon and be like, all right, <laughs> kid, like you better go talk to uh, Alcibiades about oh, this, you know? Great. Yeah, I actually have a ball python in my in my lab. So it's a three and a half foot or ball pythons aren't, aren't one of the bigger species. Um, but it's really interesting. I have I do get students fairly frequently come by that are just fascinated and want to hold them. And I've had students just kind of sit in my lab and do homework with a snake creepy over their shoulders. And every once in a while they're like, hey, Dr. Lawson, could we bring Scaly into lab? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I thought, sure, let's do it. And <laughs> the lab, we ended up getting nothing done in the lab. So it was like, Ooh, right. And all that. But yeah, it's a so, lot. So, in all seriousness, though, like backing up for a second. So, so in terms of like, so you're an evolutionary biologist, you're looking at these snakes. So, just again, like if I heard you correct, um, you're one of your main focuses is like learning how um, or studying how um, the jaws of snakes have evolved over time. Exactly. Um, cool. within, yeah, within the within the, the Python family, looking at how it's it's changed. Look, because you know, if you've seen snakes feed, you're familiar mm. with this, this this incredibly kinetic skull that they have. Um, they can literally walk their head over a prey item to move it into the esophagus to swallow. And um, so looking at things like how the proportions of bones have changed, how the position of eyes have changed, and how that correlates with, say, prey type. So um, a lot of arboreal pythons have eye, their skulls are built in such a way, revolved in such a way that they have better binocular vision, which is better for tracking prey in a three-dimensional environment than, say, if you're just striking in linear fashion um, along the ground. So it was those kinds of things, kind of overlaying the anatomical changes on top of what we know about their phylogeny, their evolutionary history, and kind of seeing what kind of what kind of story we can tell. Yeah, it's super. I haven't cool. done anything with that since grad with, with grad school, but it was a lot of fun. No, sure. And and at Bridge, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's Bridgewater College, right? Yeah. Um, how long have you been there for as, 20, as a teacher? Twenty six years. Oh wow, gotcha. It must be a killer job then. Yeah, it's a, it's, a little, it's a fun little school. It's a very small private liberal arts. Mm -hmm. um, college, which uh, I love because small classes, get to know my students, get to work on them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, definitely had no interest in the, you know, three, 400 person lecture kind of environment. And uh, yeah, so that's, 
Yeah, it's been a, it's a fun place. It's a no, fun that's place. awesome. So, what is your? Um, you don't have to go into detail about your particular classes, but it's like, what is a what is a typical schedule look like? Are you teaching a few classes a semester, or or more than a few? Usually two a semester plus all the labs. Uh, cool. so you don't have a graduate program, so um, usually in small, it's a small college, of course, pre health, health exercise science, very popular. Uh, so I teach all the human anatomy classes couple sections of that in lab in the fall, and then one section in the spring with some kind of upper division elective. Cool. Uh, and do yeah. you have to do research as well as, yeah. as, oh, you do. Okay. Gotcha. So what, yeah. so are you still doing the same kind of research? Like when it comes to like, you know, snakes, or are you doing something, you know, different? Uh, I'm actually doing something different. I work on salamander population genetics. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which is, I, I knew I had some friends at the uh, state natural history survey and that's what they were getting into. And I, I kind of looked at the research and what the questions they were asking and thought to myself, I want to tap into that eventually because that, that's really, genetics is really interesting. And yeah, you're kind of looking at evolution, not from the macro, how does a skull change to micro? How do alleles move between populations? What are dispersal barriers? Um, how is climate uh, affected? Um, distribution patterns, things like that. Yeah. So it's funny. This has nothing to do with salamanders, but um, it's funny, like talking about population of of lizards or snakes mm-hmm. or whatever. Florida seems to be the place. Like I'm always reading news articles about Florida and how I guess, again, you probably know far more about this than me, but I guess at some point or another, these snakes got re- released into the into the wild, and now apparently they're like a real problem, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There are sustained breeding populations of Burmese pythons in the Florida Everglades, and the range is expanding. Right. Because it turns out if you're... So the the subspecies in question is, um, is um, from the Burma region. Right. And, um, the, you know, beautiful color, really, really dot, you know, really good temperament. Um, but you only get to 18, 20 feet long pretty easily. And it turns out that if you want to take a python from Burma and put it in another place that was just about tailor made for it to survive, that would be the Florida Everglades. <laughs> I mean, the, it's, it's, yeah, it's the perfect habitat for them. And yeah, they got established probably 30 years ago and their population has just been growing ever since. And yeah, containment's, containment's probably not much of an issue. Yeah, It's Florida, probably not going to happen. So It's yeah. just a wild place, Florida, in so many different ways. I'm not surprised at all yeah. <laughs> that it was Florida where this happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, what is it, like a third of the species in Florida or uh, amphibian and reptile species in Florida are invasive or something like that. Yeah. I'm not surprised. The I mean, trade and everything and all the imports. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So in terms of just thinking about you, right. So you've got this real obvious, obvious passion for science, mm-hmm. right? But clearly you also have a passion for gaming. Yep. <laughs> now, what I love to do on this podcast is get a little bit of an origin story, you know? So, um, I guess the simplest way to ask it would be just to ask it, like, when did you start gaming? Okay. Um, I was in high school, so that would have been kind of late 70s. And I started with D&D because that's – back then, that was pretty much much it. There was a – there were tabletop games, but but didn't really know much about them Mm -hmm. um, until I got into college and was introduced to Battletech and – met um and that's where i kind of got my first introduction to historicals as well because there was a pretty big gaming 
club and there was a Napoleonic contingent and uh, some war contingents. So I got a chance to kind of play around with rank and flank um, cool. as well. Um, then I kind of was, took a hiatus for a while, grad school, um, kind of assumed me, but assumed me, but when I got out to Virginia and kind of got settled in there, I started looking around and kind of, and refound the gaming community and, and kind of got back into it from there. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I love Battletech, by the way. Oh yeah. It is one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, what's also interesting about that game. All right, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but but then again, tangents are not necessarily a thing on this podcast because we can talk <laughs> we can talk as long as we want. No one can stop us, you know. Um, the funny thing about BattleTech to me is, and I've had enough rules writers on the show to talk about this. It's almost like seventies, eighties, even like the early nineties, people were obsessed with minutia in gaming. You know, like mm-hmm. really crunchy games, crunchy, and that yeah. is so much going out of fashion, except mm-hmm. with BattleTech. Yeah, now, granted, BattleTech, like I know that there are. You know, there are some simplified versions of that game, but like the classic is still there. Do you still play? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, I mean, heck at Historicon, there were, there were oh, yeah. Battletech games going pretty much the entire, yeah. the entire time. But yeah, I still, I still play that. It's, it's, it's still love the crunchiness and everything. Yeah. And, um, and you're right. And I kind of, I, you know, I kind of wonder if that is, um, just to randomly speculate a little bit. Sure. Uh, so many of the gamers now came up with in the day of magic and yep. could play a game in an hour. And then you got into Mage Knight and then you got into Mech Warrior and things like that. And, and even, um, you know, Warhammer 40k and things like that. So I think a lot of, you know, I, I think there's, I, I don't know if there's this kind of shift in interest as players got used to, hey, we don't have to spend, eight hours playing a game we can spend eight hours playing a whole bunch of games but to do that you got to drop the crunch a little bit you got to yeah. you got to streamline things um streamline things a little bit 100 percent, 100 percent. i mean i think that um even walking around historicon which we could talk about in a, in, in a little bit but um uh I, back in the day um I can remember those like those eight hour games that just, you know, with no offense meant by the way, but like it would be one of those things where like you walk by and the troops are in one position and then you walk by an hour later and they're in the same position, you know? Um, And again, like some, for some people, they're really into that. And those kind of spectacle games, I remember back in the day were just so huge. I don't see a lot of those anymore. I still see games that have really nice tables, but you're right. Like, I don't know if it's an attention span thing or if it's just where games are going, but like, I think people want to be done in three hours. If that, you know? Yeah, and uh, my, the guys I, I, I went up with, you know, we had a con, we had a long conversation one evening about kind of where's Historicon going. It seems like there are a lot of non-historical games there, and I actually ran through the the, the PEL, and it's about about a third of the games I would call non-historical mm-hmm. in, the, in the in the classical sense, and and so it was kind of a nice little, little philosophical decision discussion about you know, where's gaming going, where's Historicon going. Yeah, you know? well, look, this is a this is a very big question and a very big topic and, and a question that I know, you know, I started going to cons in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, this being a discussion as well back then, um, how diversified should, you know, yeah. these cons be, you know, and, and it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, if on one hand, you can certainly keep it niche. You can certainly just keep it where you're only playing historical games, as long as you're okay with the fact that, 
no one else really does that. Everybody else is diversifying more. And it's like, that's why, and again, like Historicon, don't quote me on this per se, but like so many people had mentioned that like the numbers this year have never been better. Like literally the best numbers they've had in a decade, you know? And it's like, but even then it's like, if you think about something like Adepticon, right. Or a Gen Con or an origins Mm -hmm. where they have all the different kinds of genres, well, that's what's going to draw numbers. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, by the way. I mean, look at how many, look, I mean, a lot of them didn't materialize, but look how many games of the new 10th edition of Warhammer 40k were being played at Historicon, which compared to even last year was just radically different. Yeah. Including the amount of Battletech too, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, and again, to me, like, I always take like kind of like a, I'm trying to find the right word here, like a non-confrontational stance, I guess you could say with HMGS. It's just like, for me, it's like, I just want people to play games and get enjoyment out of it and have people come together, especially with the last few years that we've had with COVID and numbers dwindling, you know, but it is a real interesting conversation, especially when like the word historical is in the title, you know? So it's, it's an interesting kind of thing. And by the way, on that note, um, one of the big reasons I wanted to chat with you is I, I, I want to give the audience a sense of what Historicon was like. So I'd be wondering if you'd be willing to chat a little bit about that. Like what was your experience like in general? Heck yeah. Um, so this is my second Historicon, um, and it was more fun than the first one I went to. And the first one I went to was an absolute blast. Right. I had so much fun. Um, the, I mean, even just kind of like you know, the, the town is great. The mm-hmm. convention center is fantastic. Facilities, availability of all the kind of amenities that you want. Um, the vendor room, just space to, hey, hey, let's put all our game into play. There's plenty of open tables. Um, and just a really, really friendly, um, friendly environment. Um, really, really fun people to play. Well, you mentioned the, and thanks again for running the, the game. Oh, no you problem. You haven't wanted to try World War One out for quite a while. And you're right, that that table is fantastic. Everybody yeah, thank you, man. Great. Yeah, and, and, and just the players. I mean, that was a superb group of people. But I mean, a lot of the games were like that. It was just people wanting to have fun playing, um, playing games. And I mean, the only times I didn't have fun gaming were when the rule set just wasn't what I was looking for. Yeah. Which can be a which can be a tricky thing too, because like again, so for for our audience out there, right? So between the you know between um, the two of us, like our own experiences, you know, a lot of times when you go to a convention, the way that it works is like you know you're going to look through a PEL you're going to get a sense of who the GMs are. So who the people are that are running the games, then the listing will tell you what the game is about. And then there will be a rule set. So it's like, you know, you never know, like stuff for some people, right? Some people will go and they'll only play rule sets that they know. And for other people, and and again, Gavin, I don't know where you fall on the spectrum, but um, you know, for some people, it's a great way to try rules. And, you know, sometimes you're going to sit down, it could be the greatest GM ever and the greatest people ever, but that set of rules might not be your cup of tea. Whereas maybe a different set, you know, actually is, you know, no. I, and Gavin, I don't know what your experience is like, but no, there was, it was like that 100%. So when I, so when I went to historic on the first time, my goal was I want to play games I never played before. Mm-hmm. And that went pretty well. And they kind of went with the same approach this time. You know, I like Napoleonics. I want to try Napoleonics rule set. I'm interested in kind of late medieval. We'll try some of those. Um, but the thing that I noticed the most, um, uh, I guess, I guess rule sets kind of, to me, it seemed like kind of fell into one of two categories. You had the real deep, crunchy rule sets where 
nine out of 10 people playing the game have played together. They know the rule set really well. It moves like a couple of the games I played were like that. You know, it's like everybody's really friendly. I was pushing models around, but I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And then the other are what I would call more con friendly. Um, Trench Wars was like that. Yeah. Um, where, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you got a pretty good idea of how the game runs and you can just kind of go, kind of, kind of go. And, you know, I, I worry when I say con friendly and, and that kind of thing that it implies that, well, it's less te technically or tactically sophisticated and, and so forth. Um, that's not the case at all. Yeah. That's not the case at all. You don't have to have, you don't need, you know, six tables to fire a rifle to yeah. game tactical. Yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess the next historic kind of is going to be a little more focused on kind of what kind of rule set I'm, I'm looking for. I don't want to shy away from diff, from from more challenging ones that I want to try, but going into them, it's like my learning curve is going to be going to be a lot steeper. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny. Like I was thinking about this. I think about this a lot, but I was thinking about it in particular on the way home. It's really hard to run a game, like let alone like trying to run a really crunchy rule set. You don't know who you're going to be playing with. I find it way more difficult uh, running a game than it is like teaching. Uh, mm. You know, and again, I don't know what your experience has been or experience with running games, but with teaching, at least, you know, you know who your students are, you know, your content. Whereas like running a game, it's like, you know, that that's not always the case, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I've run a cost. So um, I've really kind of fallen in love with uh, Raven Feast. The oh, cool. The Little Wars TV yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Um, I, I used to be in the Society for Creative Anachronism. And I remember playing that for the first time at last Historicon. I was telling the guys like, dude, I feel like I'm right in the middle of a melee. Yeah. You know, back in the SCA, I was having, the, it was really, really fun. But I've I've taught that you know I've showed that to a, a few of my friends and and yeah kind of what and I guess the parallel I find to teaching is that if there's a question you don't have an immediate answer to the students will inevitably ask it yeah because I got the rod, it's like what happens here I'm like that's a really good question yeah 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 for sure yeah then you have to figure out how to educate it and mm -hmm. you know all that stuff yeah but, but um, it, it is yeah. and I do want to try to run a game next year at Historicon but uh. Lots and lots and lots of beta testing. I think yeah, that, for sure. It's a scenario for sure. Really just play it a lot, see how it runs. Yeah, I think that's that's. Dev I mean, that's the advice that I would give to anybody that that wants to run, you know, their uh, their own game. To me, what I always think about and what I always shoot for is games that are mechanically simple, where somebody could like learn how to play within five to ten minutes and playing one turn but have a detailed enough scenario where there's a lot that players have to think about. That's what right. I want them to spend time thinking about. I don't want them spending time looking at a million charts to figure out like where their shell hits, you know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's my big thing, you know? Um, so let me ask you then, um, Gavin, so when you're on your own, right? So you get home from Historicon, are there go-to games? I know you mentioned you really like Battletech. Are there go-to games that, you know, you're playing now that you would have interest in running something eventually? Um... Let's see. The the two that come to mind are Raven Feast. Okay. Uh, I want to take a shot at that. And there was another one, and I can't believe I'm forgetting the name. I, I'm pretty sure it's Age of Conquest. It was mm -hmm. my Bad Goblin games. Uh, they ran that uh, Romans versus uh, Goths mm -hmm. um, mass battle. It was a really smooth rule set. Had a lot of fun playing that. The guys are really nice. Um and uh, they also ran Trailer Park Warlords of the Apocalypse, which was amazing. Yeah, cool. So, um, but yeah, one of those two, 
And um, so one of those two would be fun to try. And in my gaming group, I'm kind of part of two. Okay. Um, one is real heavily into Battletech, and we've really gotten hooked into Mordheim, so we've been playing a lot of that. And then the other one is kind of like Baskin Robbins. It's like, you know, I picked up, you know, it's like, you know, there's like, I picked up an old West game. We should try that. Cool. Let's try that. It's like, I picked up this mass battle. Let's try that. Um, so we're kind of all over the place. And ooh, that looks yeah. cool. Well, that was cool. But it's but, nice to have two different groups that, that do it differently, you know, because I mean, again, you know, as myself being like an old gamer, yeah, every, every group is different. I mean, there are some groups where it's like, they'll play the same game all the time. And then others, it's like, you almost want to, shake them because it's like they get gamer ADD, you know, where, you know, you know what, you know what I mean, you know, where paralysis, yeah, for sure. You know? Uh, so I gotta say, um, I love Mordheim as well. Mordheim is such a great game, you know, um, Mm -hmm. by the way, for our listeners out there. So Mordheim was, was like one of GW's like really classic games, you know, it's like in a way, I don't know, like I would probably pair it up or partner it up with like a game like Necromunda. Um, and it, like really skirmish based, super, super, super fun, you know? So you guys play that a decent amount. Yeah. Um, for the listeners, if you've ever played things like Frostgrave or Stargrave, they came that Mordheim was the, was the game that gave rise. Yeah. Uh, and actually, even though it's been out of print for like 20 years, there is a massive repository of everything you need online. People, the fans have been keeping that game going for, for a couple of decades. Yeah, super, super fun. Um, and also, if you like building terrain, mm-hmm. it's, it's super fun because you don't need a giant board and you can really like build your own little world. It's almost like almost like getting a chance to almost role play, you know, on some level, yeah. um, which which is is really cool, you know. Yeah. So um, here's my next big sort of line of of questions there, uh, Gavin, that I'm curious about. So. From what you have told me, you've done some some gamified learning. You've done some stuff, you know, like outreach uh, work, kind of like, you know, um, I've done in my career and also what NextGen does. So I, I don't know if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this was a very long time ago. Um, a buddy of mine who taught at a local private high school, um, we did... Pima, historical European martial arts together. We're gaming buddies for, for ages and ages. And their school wanted to do a summer enrichment program. And the two of us talked and we're like, well, could we co-teach something? And it ended up being a um, kind of like a medieval war, introduction to medieval warfare kind of kind of thing. I taught him how to make chain mail. Um, we taught him how to do basic uh, European longsword. Um, but then we also wanted to do some tabletop gaming because we were talking about, you know, you know, tactics, tactical decision making, how to use, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're like, okay, we need a rule set. And this is a, right about the time when Kings of War had come out. Oh, sure. It's a great game. Yeah. And we, yeah. Yeah, we played some Warhammer Fantasy. We're like, and that's a little too much. Um, Kings of War, it's like, okay, we can take this and kind of streamline it down a little bit. And so we did that. We added some flavor from Warhammer Fantasy, added some stuff from a couple of other games we'd played. And uh, we literally, I got um, like some, you know, the, the basswood sheets that you get at um, like Michael's and all that. Mm-hmm. Got those, cut them into rectangles, 
printed up all the stat lines on adhesive back paper and slapped them on those and said, okay, there's your cavalry, there's your infantry, there's your, there's your archers. And so they're, they're, you know, it's like the, um, the old movies about World War II, you know, using the, the, the sticks to kind of push blocks around. On yeah, the that's really ingenious. Awesome. Yeah, it was that kind of thing because it's like we're never going to be able to paint and get all this stuff. But it worked great and the students loved it. And in fact, one of the students, I mean, I lost touch with him for a while. And then a few years later, it's like, wait a second, are you playing? Yeah, we got into Volt. We were in Volt Action League together. So, oh, wow. Yeah, and he's, he's still gaming strong. So No, that's very cool. So if I could ask you a really specific question, and and again, like, you know, you can you can answer this any way you want. Um, do you remember specifically when you were running that kind of programming? Do you remember what they liked about it? Like what 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 I mean, what rang true with those students in terms of getting a chance to play games like this? Gotcha. And I know how specific that is, so you can answer that any way you want. It was a while ago. What was it they really they really connected? with they really found i think it was they really they really found the decision making and the dice rolling fun and it was because it was it was it was cool to kind of problem solve it's like okay where exactly do i want my archers knowing at the same time you can put stuff in exactly the right place do exactly the right thing and the dice gods will say Nah, you don't need to hit anybody um, this turn. Actually, the last game we did of the of the class was a mass battle. So it was like mm-hmm. five on five in this huge table. And it's like, okay, you all are generals. You have to, and we get, it's like, okay, you get all the archers. You get all the heavy cab. You get all this. And they had to kind of plan and plot together and kind of figure out how they were going to coordinate. They really got into that. Yeah. It's great for team building. That's what it sounds like to me. Great for team building, great from camaraderie. And again, like, you know, to me, when I hear an answer like that, um, I always see the connection with the classroom where so many of the things that we want to vet the students to learn how to do Mm -hmm. and in so many different ways, like whether it's about like learning how to self-advocate or like, hey, you ran into some difficulty in a group, you know, being decisive and learning how to make decisions. And to me, like games have always been a great way of, you know, low stakes way of getting kids to think about that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so will you ever do it again? I think that's you know. If it has, that's that's the thing with the if, yeah. If I had the opportunity, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have a um, we have a D and D club on campus actually, and I uh, put together just enough of a Celtic and Dacian force that, and the and the faculty advisor is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, we need to start talking to these kids and saying, so have you ever considered? this yeah and i might try to i might try to see if i can snag a few of them um yeah not being a history teacher i just kind of learned my options unfortunately yeah but. well you know you'd be surprised like um not so much about um you know like wargaming per se or whatever mm-hmm. but like i there was a teacher a number of years ago that i worked with who used to do and i'm gonna butcher the name by the way but she was a she was basically um, in a private school. She was, you know, like the seventh grade science teacher. Mm-hmm. And what she used to do was right before spring break, she would do like um, sort of like, you know, teaching. And again, I'm so going to butcher this because mm-hmm. the name is on the tip of my tongue right now. Mm-hmm. But it's like where you kind of like do this battle royale evolutionarily of like different kinds of animals to see which animal like evolutionarily speaking uh, uh, would kind of like get to the top mm-hmm. of the heap as like a predator mm-hmm. again 
but but there was like a whole system behind it. Like the right. kids had to do research. There was there were dice rolls involved, stuff like that. You know, that's so, cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. I would imagine there must be some way to gamify. You know, you know something again. I, I know you were saying you don't do a ton about snakes anymore, but um, yeah. you know there there might be some ways to kind of integrate some games in there. You know, so no. I mean, if you if you I mean the immune system. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, maybe that's a battle right there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's all. Yeah, I mean, there are there are plenty of biological systems that would apply that you know, to the you know because it's all about competition. It's all yeah. about you know um, you know can you survive whatever's applying selective pressure to you things like that. Yeah. Mm. No, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, definitely food for thought. Now here's a question, Gavin, because like just in terms of like time and stuff like that, um, I very much like appreciate the fact that you know you were willing to you know come on and do the podcast. So I guess here is a question like if, um, you know, and you can share whatever you want, but like, you know, clearly you've got experience gaming and clearly um, you're a real fixture at your school. Like if for whatever reason, an audience member or somebody listening to this right now wanted a little bit more information about maybe something that you do or something that you game or something that you teach, um, is there a way that, you know, somebody could reach out to you easily? Oh, heck yeah. In a non-creepy way, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm not asking you to put your you know, your address out there or anything like that. <laughs> Let's see, where's that credit card? Um, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, easiest way is email at glawson at bridgewater.edu. Awesome. Very cool, man. So yeah. again, uh, I really appreciate that, uh, you know, you were willing to come on. Uh, and I, I, I really appreciate you asking me. I, I thought, oh, I, yeah. that, was, that was that was really nice. And I'm, I'm really excited and happy to be able to do take this opportunity with you. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully, um, you know, this is the last point that I'll make, you know, for audience members, you know, one of the really, really cool things about um, gaming conventions is the fact that a lot of times we go back and like, we might not necessarily see each other all year, but we see each other at the con, you know? So in that sense, um, it'll be really nice to reconnect there. And who knows, like um, maybe at some point or another, we can reconnect here on the podcast. Cause I don't know, like, we'll see, we'll see if you decide to, you know, roll the dice again in the classroom, you know, yeah, um, I'd be very curious uh, to see if you do and to see what that might, might look like, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and I wasn't kidding when I said at some point, I want to try putting together my own world war one. Um, yeah. Warden scenario and running something at uh, Historicon because that that was a lot of fun. And well, you know what we could do. You know, we could always team up. You know, Next Gen is always looking for teachers, um, mm -hmm. you know, people who have a lot of uh, that kind of experience working with kids and stuff like that. And you know, we have like a nice little team and a nice little group of people. So you never know. Like you know, maybe in next year's Historicon, depending on what room we're in. You know, if you do want to run something, we can make sure that you know you're in our room. We'll give you a shirt, you know, and and kind of go from there. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. All, All right. right. So uh, audience members, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And one more time, uh, Gavin, love to have you on. Thank you so much. You are quite welcome. Thanks. All man. right. Cool. All right, everybody. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20 sided game of five podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore nextgen underscore inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.